Hey guys, welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That's my awesome wife, Liberty. And we are a married couple with vastly different interests, trying to bring the other person to our side through the latest news in books and sports. This is the book episode. It's the book episode. Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, okay. So there's not a ton of book news right now. There's some adaptations happening and so on, so I'll get to those real quick. Michael Crichton's series Sphere is being adapted for HBO. It follows a group of scientists in the middle of the South Pacific where a huge vessel was unearthed. And it asks the biggest question, are the most alien life forms out there the people closest to us? Dun, dun, dun. It's a very broad statement to make, but sure. So I'm assuming it's got aliens and other life forms. I was going to guess that it was sci-fi based just based off the name Sphere, because like I doubt they're talking about just like a circle. It is an adaptation that's being done by multiple big names like Warner Brothers Television and Team Downey, which is apparently Robert Downey Jr. and Susan Downey's company. Interesting. And Denise Thay, or Tay, I don't know how you pronounce it. Depends on if they're French. They're the executive producer and writer for the show. It sounds interesting. I've never heard of this book before, so I had to look it up to find out what it's supposed to be about. Well, there you go. Maybe something else for us to read and then watch. Maybe. Yeah. And then another adaptation is Stephen King's The Stand is being adapted for CBS. I think it's CBS All Access, technically, so it's not going to be on the actual cable. It'll be on their streaming As you remember from the sports episode, I absolutely hate CBS All Access with all my heart. Yeah. I already pay for cable. Why do I want to pay for something else? All right. And it's going to be released on December 17th. That's the newest information out is their date. And basically, The Stand is a story that takes place in a world where a weaponized version of the flu eliminates 99% of the world population. Interesting. And it sort of discusses how to react and recover from this, but also it sort of turns into us versus them at that point. And some of the actors include Whoopi Goldberg, Alexander Skarsgård, and James Marsden. But what people aren't liking right now is that it is a nine-episode show, but the story is over 1,200 pages. So... Are the episodes, like, two hours long? Like, they're episode, like, movies? I I mean, it would have to be. It would absolutely have to be, but I don't think it is. I think it's going to be a 45-minute, 40-45-minute show. So I don't know how you're going to get all that in there unless you're, like, breaking it up. Like, season one is, like, a quarter of the story, and then season two is... next quarter for the writer's sake i hope so because otherwise how do you cram all that into just nine episodes like you must already know there's some kind of contract deal to extend it but obviously there's not because that information would exist somewhere on the internet as well i don't know how they're planning on doing this and i know stephen king does a lot of stuff from what i've read that feels like extra details but in under the dome which i only got a third of the way through It's so action-packed, I don't understand how it's possible to condense it down that much. It just doesn't make any sense. And on top of that, you had King come out and say that they're going to add something to the back end that wasn't in the book because this is a 40-year-old story. So, like, he wanted to sort of do an update on the television show version. I don't know how you add that to a 1,200-page story in television form. Yeah. Who even knows? It's going to be interesting, to say the least. And it's a weird time for it to come out. It's obviously coming out, probably, because it... 100% there's a reason it's coming out right now. Yeah, it... That's going to be hard for people to watch, I think. I just don't like the idea that they are comparing... The COVID's currently being compared to the flu, which it's not. So, it's just... Well, this book was also written, like I said, about 40 years ago. Right. No one knew this was coming. Yeah. And another COVID, I guess, related story is Powell Books says they're not going to sell through Amazon anymore. They are based out of Portland and they're one of the top booksellers, but they're saying they're dwarfed by Amazon's inventory. And they chose now as the time to stop selling through Amazon because their sales numbers went down on Amazon through COVID. And they think that it's the best time to do it. To cut out Amazon? Due to already having lower sales. And it makes a lot of sense. They're more comfortable taking that risk 
in a time when it's not going to be cutting out as much of their sales as it would have been before because Amazon was focusing mostly on cleaning products and health things, especially at the beginning of COVID, as we saw. I think more companies need to be taking this stance and more booksellers need to be taking this stance. Basically, there's something going through federally right now to sort of question Amazon's hold on all the markets. Right. But they said they don't want to wait for any sort of federal restrictions to come down. I just wish more companies did this. It won't happen. Amazon is too too powerful at this point. And I, I get that trying to help not only the writers, but the publishers make more money. Amazon, you know, with everybody's e-readers and things like that has become pretty much the top dog. Like people stopped giving Barnes & Noble any opportunity to try to compete with Amazon Kindle. It's going to be, I think, if it does happen, it's going to be a hard road for any business that stops selling through Amazon because it's so well used and well known. I just think it needs to be done. I agree. I think if the major publishers come together and maybe start like their own type of app or something like that, that they could partner together with and release ebooks, that would take some shot at Amazon, at least in the, the ebook world, maybe. Maybe, I'm not sure, because you do have Nook, which is the only other option, really, is Kindle and Nook, and no one really goes towards the Nook side. It's all Kindle stuff. I do. Well, almost no one. Including yourself. I got a Kindle as a present many years ago, and that's been what I've used since, so I stopped buying books through Amazon a couple years ago, but it's what I used when that was all I had. And then the last big news for the book community is two book printing companies aren't doing well right now and it's leading to issues with books being released in the fall. And it doesn't help that books that were slated for spring and summer got pushed back thanks to COVID. Now not only do you have fall releases that need to be printed, you also have spring and summer releases that need to be printed and put out. And the companies are the LSC Communications, which filed for bankruptcy in April, and Quaid's book printing business, which is up for sale following a three-month shutdown thanks to COVID. Those are two of the major printing companies, and they're struggling. Yeah, It's sort of weird to think of that, considering when you compare 2019 to 2020 up to this point in the year, there is a 5% increase of demand for print books. So people are buying more print books than ever before, or at least within the past couple of years. So the demand for reprints or new releases is impacting their ability to get everything out there. That's kind of a bummer. Obviously, you want the big dogs to survive at least a little bit. Hopefully, some smaller printing businesses will be able to try to pick up the slack a little bit. I just don't know how. It's Usually, fall is one of the major times for new releases, as is spring. But in spring, we still got new releases. It's just less than what was anticipated. So the combination is just a lot. Yeah. And, like, they had to do a reprinting for the old guard, which is the bind-up of the first five comics, that took longer than expected. Like, I kept getting email updates saying that it was being pushed back and pushed back, and I had bought it after we watched the movie in the middle of July, and I didn't get it till the end of August. Yeah. So, and I think we're going to be running up into more of those issues for reprints or things that are out of stock. And one of the things that definitely didn't help is the new Twilight book that came out in August that was in big demand, even for people like me who don't like the series anymore, but they loved it when they were younger. So nostalgia had them going back to it. Right. Yeah, it's going to be hard to see what happens next. Yeah. But that's all the major book news. I tried to keep it a little slimmer this week than last week because we're talking about the Goblet of Fire book to movie adaptation and I took five pages of notes and that's a lot. So I wanted to be able to talk about everything all the way through the way we want to without making this too long. It's going to be long. So if you're not here for Harry Potter, I apologize. This week's episode is probably not going to be up your alley. Well, I think all the people I know who like Harry Potter can agree that despite the fact that Goblet of Fire is so absolutely different from the book, 
it was still fun to watch. Yeah, it's a really good movie. Like if you if you hadn't read the book, you probably wouldn't be that bothered by the quality of the movie you received. Well, and I think it did something that was missing in the third movie, which was it added in comedy. So even though I was upset about things that weren't right and taking notes about that, I was still laughing as I was writing down the thing that they got wrong. Yeah, multiple times I can attest to your giggles that were going on to my left while we were watching the movie. So. Yeah, so I think the first major note that I made was this is Harry Potter in the year that no one got a haircut. Yeah. Absolutely everyone's hair was crazier than the past three years. Much longer and flowier than normal, that's for sure. I don't know if they decreased their hair and makeup budget or something, but... Well, maybe like when they started shooting, you know, they fired all the hair people like, ah, oh, we're sick of all of you, get out of here. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's that was a weird thing that happened in the movie for sure. Like, the twins especially. Yeah. Like, that was just more than any of the other years. We're going back to, like, almost Beatles-length hairs, you know, at, at certain points, so. though. this is technically set in the 90s, so I don't know how far off that is from 90s hair, because I was still very small. It was pretty far off from what the 90s hairstyles were. This book definitely starts off darker, and you do get that in the beginning with Wormtail and Voldemort up at the Riddle Manor. Yeah. And the problem that I have there is it takes out a lot of the groundkeeper story, Frank Bryce's story. It takes out all of it. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, you like, have him discover them, but you miss the part where the riddles are killed and everyone's talking about him down in the pub. And you miss the part where he's still taking care of this manor, despite the fact that it's switching hands all over the place and his sort of like dedication to the house. Yeah, and obviously he's a really, like, not important character, but at the same time, like, it shows that he's dedicated and when he's killed, it's just like, why would you kill him? Like, he's literally been the reason this house is still standing at this point. Well, and it sort of gives the backstory for the riddles and Voldemort's father, and it gives sort of all the information you're going to need later on, not just in this book, but in other books. I didn't like that it's not included because it sort of makes things harder to explain in movie six. Yeah, and then you bypass all the stuff going on with the Dursleys as well. But before that happened, they included Barty Crouch Jr. in the vision Harry has in that nightmare. It's not there. I don't know what the freak that was even about. If it was just supposed to be that upon seeing him later, we recognize him. 100% the reason that the or director did that. What? But you could explain it with like a line of dialogue later. That's all you need. There's mm -hmm. no reason to put him in that scene. Right. And like, that's David Tennant. You're paying a lot of money to have him crouch next to a chair. Yeah. So I don't know. Not a fan of that. And like you said, they skipped everything at the Dursleys, which is frustrating because it's necessary. Like there's a reason Harry goes back there every summer. Like he has to. Yeah. And so I don't like that. It makes it basically look like he's staying with the Weasleys from the time he steps off the train. Yeah. It was a little weird because obviously in the previous movie you see him being picked up by the Dursleys. And so it's just weird that they would immediately be like, and then he was at the burrow. How did that even happen? It just did. Magic. Hermione waking them up for the Quidditch World Cup was actually kind of funny because I like that Ron... Who's supposed to be like super excited about this. Well, he like is covering himself up with a blanket because Hermione's there. Yeah. And I just think that's hilarious. Like, Ron, what are you even covering up? Yeah. It's cute. We're also missing my two favorite elder Weasley brothers. So we don't get Bill and Charlie coming in. We don't get all of the like coziness and fun stuff from the burrow that I love. Bill and Charlie don't even exist in this movie. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we never see Percy in the movie either. Nope. That's really frustrating because one of the things I like so much about this series is seeing magical places that aren't just Hogwarts. I just... I want to see Harry in like a happy and stable wizarding environment that isn't the school where he gets attacked every single year. Yeah, I can totally agree with that statement. I miss seeing the elder Weasleys. Well, they're really entertaining. You gotta remember the scene where they're flying the table and the chairs around outside getting everything ready for dinner. So. Yeah. And I don't know, it's just, it's the sort of like expanding on the world, but also like adding a level of like comfort for Harry that he doesn't really get to experience normally. Right. And it just, it felt like the timetable for everything was just accelerated, which I guess makes sense because a lot of stuff happens. 
Yeah. And so, like, why would they want to include the part where Bill needs a haircut and all this other stuff? Yeah. And they mess up a lot of small stuff at the beginning because when they actually take the port key to the site for the Quidditch World Cup, everything's just sort of different and wrong like you don't have the muggle who's taking account of all of the people coming in for the campsites and all this other stuff there's definitely more magic and broom riding going on in the camp than there was like it's referenced but they're like it's supposed to be like kids on like training brooms yeah like one foot off the ground yeah and mr weasley points out that you know they can't help but show off for each other but there's also the international statute of secrecy so that should have stopped them from going as far as the movie goes yeah like it's just so over the top and i know it's supposed to be like when in the first book harry sees diagon alley for the first time and everything's magical and wonderful and you get that moment in the movie yeah they wanted to create that in the fourth movie with this and it's just like it's too much for what's actually in the book yeah and then on top of that the stadium really isn't through like a forest or anything like that there's just like a mountain and then all of a sudden there's the stadium and dare we talk about the tents Well, and all the tents are already set up. And I do like how they did some of them for the movie because it does fit with what the actual book says. Yeah. But the tents weren't supposed to already be set up. The Weasleys and Harry and Hermione were supposed to struggle with it. And then Harry does get the shock of, oh, it's bigger on the inside, like a TARDIS. And so... Well, there's supposed to be two tents. One for the girls and one for the boys. That too, yes. But I do like the actual setup of the tent. Yeah. Like, the way it is in the movie, I like how it's all set up and everything. Yeah, like the dining room and, you know, kitchen and all that stuff. Yeah. I also love that Ron goes right for the fridge. Of course. Yeah. But we do end up missing Crouch and Bagman and Percy. Yeah. Especially right there, because it's supposed to be setting up for their stories. But in this, you basically lose all of Bagman, most of Crouch, Percy doesn't even appear. And it's basically like, if it doesn't pertain to Harry, it doesn't need to be told, is how they took writing the script. Yeah. But going back to the actual match... The Weasleys are supposed to be in the top box with, like, all these big names, including the Malfoy family. And instead, the top of the stadium is, like, the bad seats, supposedly. Yeah. And the Malfoys kind of give them heck for it. And it's dumb. It's a stupid change. I don't know why they did it. Maybe to exclude the part with Winky, because Winky's never really a thing. It doesn't exist in the movie, yeah. You don't have the part with a Bulgarian minister... None. You don't get Ludo announcing the game. It's Crouch or Fudge instead in yeah. the movie because they cut out Bagman. Completely. It doesn't exist. You lose all the betting. Like, there's a bunch of little stuff, but it all takes away for me. Right. And as well, too, like, Ludo Bagman's character was definitely in the book one that you were supposed to suspect as being one of the bad guys the entire time. And then it just. He doesn't exist, so... Or at the very least, if you don't suspect him of being a bad guy, you know that he's doing seedy things to try to, like, push Harry forward, but why is he trying to give him so much help and all this other stuff? Yeah. And... I just, I don't know that taking these things out do anything for the story besides make it shorter. And you do get part of the actual cup game. But you're missing the Vila, you're missing the Leprechauns. Like, don't get me wrong, it was still an exciting scene. I, like, thoroughly enjoyed it in the movie. But having read the book, I'm like, there's a lot of things that are missing from the movie. Like, way too much. I did enjoy a lot of just watching them get excited for the game and all of their silliness after Ireland wins. Yeah. And seeing how they were still split because they wanted Ireland to win because they're in the same area, but also they like Crumb a lot. It was also weird seeing Ron not wearing Irish colors and wearing Bulgarian colors. Yeah, that was weird. But yeah. I, I still like that they represented the fact that they were split, sort of, yeah. between who they wanted to win and who they liked player-wise. Because that does happen. Yeah. And then with the attack, that's just all wrong. 
Yeah, one one hundred percent in the incorrect when the Death Eaters supposedly arrived to cause chaos amongst the camp and like they're supposed to be running into the forest and none of that stuff even happens. Mm-hmm. And then like because Winky's not there, Harry's not losing his wand, and then someone else is conjuring the dark mark. And oh, we recognize him from that one scene he wasn't supposed to be in. Barty Crouch Jr. does yeah. it. And Harry gets separated all alone and kind of gets knocked unconscious for some reason. Yeah. Which is weird. He's running through the crowd and gets knocked out instead of running together the entire time through the forests to yeah. avoid the Death Eaters. Yeah. I think it was definitely done to just shorten that plot point as much as possible. Because, yeah. like, had they extended it out to the full length, it would have taken, like, another 10 or 15 minutes of the movie time to actually show that. So Yeah. And... They still needed the dark mark, so they still needed it to be Barty Crouch Jr. who cast it, but they also needed someone to blame it on. Yeah. As, like, putting someone there for the film to see, and they had already taken out Winky from the script, so they couldn't blame it on her, which sort of nixes all of the house elf stuff from the whole story. Yeah, they pretty much don't exist shy of Dobby making a quick appearance, so... And after everything's taken care of with recovering from the attack and Harry finding his wand and all this stuff, instead of transitioning back to the burrow and getting more time at the burrow because that was the middle of August and they have time before going to Hogwarts, right. they pretty much jump straight back to the train Yeah, to Hogwarts. Which was a little weird, but again, they seemed like the director didn't really... But one thing I don't think he did very well was how he handled time in between things in this movie. Like, he just, like, go, 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 go. Next, right. next, 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 next. Which is great if you wanted an action movie, which is what it was. Pretty much, yeah. By definition, so. And it's like I've been saying the whole time, they're taking out a bunch of world-building stuff and stuff that technically doesn't matter to the plot. Right. But it really does matter to the story as far as having a well-rounded world and well-rounded characters characters right i can agree with that wholeheartedly i think that is something that was definitely is missing from the world of the movies for sure and another thing that we missed that i thought was kind of big because of this whole transitioning weird is the trouble with moody at the beginning and amos having to speak to arthur through the fire and get arthur to help take care of it because he was starting his new job Yeah, And so I think that takes away some of the suspicion that you normally have throughout the story about who Moody is and what's going on with Moody. Yeah. Because I think that's sort of a breadcrumb that at least reading it the second time, you can see how it's like laying down the trail. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like that Harry sees Cho on the train. Like I know he's got a crush on her and that needs to be set up, but there's a really great moment in the Great Hall when he spills juice all over himself that I think does it. Even better. From the book? It's in the movie. Oh, in the movie, yeah. And we miss the sorting ceremony and Dennis Creevy, who's not, like, a major character, but I think he's hilarious. Yeah. Because he's so happy to have fallen into the lake and get rescued by the giant squid. Yeah, he's definitely part of the satire of the book that doesn't quite make it to the movie at all, so... And you get Nigel. I don't know who this guy is. Just a random child that delivers a package to Ron. But he was supposed to get it at the borough for his dress robes. Yeah. And I guess what they did is all the parts that Colin and Dennis Creevy were supposed to play kind of just combined into this one character that we've never heard of and never really see again. Nigel. Right. He's just here and gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one of the weird scenes, I think, for me was when Obaton arrived as a school and you've got Madame Maxime sitting next to Dumbledore and she's like, oh, well, somebody needs to take care of the horses. And, you know, Hagrid's down there like, hi. Yeah. Like that. That's not a scene that happens in the book at all. Obviously, it builds a little more mystery like, no, it's fine. Trust me in the book. Whereas Dumbledore still kind of says the same things, but like is like. My boy, Hagrid's got this, like, right down there. And she's just like, well, remember, they drink single malt whiskey. So, like, the line existed, I guess. Like, they took some of it from the book, but they just put it in a weird place. Yeah. Well, and that whole timeline is weird as well because basically they arrive, the announcement is made, and oh, there they are immediately. It's like the first meal, right, that they're doing it in the movie, whereas in the book it's, like, closer to Halloween, which... They're supposed to arrive on the 30th and the names are drawn on the 31st of October. So that whole timeline is just sped up really fast. 
I don't like it. I don't like how it pushes the story forward so fast because you miss a lot of the smaller things like Dennis Creevy because you have to just keep moving the plot forward. And, you know, then you have that ridiculous circus-style entrance that the two schools make, which clearly does not happen in the book. My notes are, what the F is this nonsense? (laughs) The schools are sexualized and separated by sex for some reason. Which is not at all the way it is in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, if you live in France, you're a girl who wears really horrible robes that are... So in the wizarding world, French wizards or witches are only women. And in Bulgaria, Bulgaria, they only give birth to men. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I really don't like this. And, like, they sort of have the girls dance in and be, like, sexual and, like, all this crap. And then the boys are all burly and, like, tough. And it makes me want to slap someone, to be honest. Yeah. It really makes me angry. And then just on top of that, you've got the weird appearance from Moody and, like, whatever was going on with the ceiling that I don't know what the point of that was. And then you've got Dumbledore shouting in the middle of the Great Hall to get everyone to be quiet. And it's like, that's not Dumbledore as a character. Like, you read him in the books and he's not someone who shouts. He's He's someone who says things calmly. Yeah. So that was really... Again, I think that was director interpretation, like just trying to intensify everything that was going around. That's the only thing that I can really think. And then there's some house stuff that I didn't like. Padma Patil, who's the twin of Parvati, is supposed to be in Ravenclaw and not Gryffindor. Just because you're a twin doesn't mean you're in the same house. Like right. It worked that way with Fred and George, but it's not that way with the Patil twins. Yeah, they have different personalities a little bit, so it's kind of weird that that would be a thing. And period. why are we just now seeing them together right. in the fourth? It's weird. It would have been also the first, second, or third. We probably would have seen them around at least a little bit. And... I don't like that they still are mixing the classes. So they had all four houses and the class with Moody, which I didn't like. Yeah. There's also the blast-ended scroots that are missing from Hagrid's classes. Completely, and that's one of the things that they're supposed to be avoiding in the maze, which I think is the irony that it's just not there at all. Oh, we'll talk about the maze later. Yeah. There are things. A lot of things. There's a lot of things with this whole book, let's just be honest. I think one of my notes was just, it's all wrong. This is all wrong. And, like, it all sounds very nitpicky when you go through it scene by scene and line by line, but at the same time... It's a big chunk of things that are just MIA completely. Yeah, and like I said, anything relating to Harry's story is kept, and anything that's not specifically interacting with Harry, it doesn't need to be there, apparently. Right. But the scene where Malfoy gets turned into a ferret was still really funny, and I still, I still enjoyed it, and that was somehow extended, like it's longer than what happens in the books, but at the same time, you're missing Ron's reaction, and like, his reaction is one of the best parts of that scene, talking about remembering Draco Malfoy, the amazing bouncing ferret. Yes. And that's just one of his best moments, comedy-wise. Yeah, the the ferret scene is still one of my favorite scenes in both the movie and the book. Like, yeah. They're both pretty entertaining. And I still like seeing McGonagall telling him off, of yeah. course. I'm glad they kept that, and I'm also glad that they kept the goblet scene with the twins. Oh, yes. The beards. That's not quite accurate to how it happened, but it's close enough that I can kind of forgive it. <laughs> right. Because you're not, in that scene, you're not, you don't see everybody putting their names in the goblet ever at any point in time. Yeah, you just see a couple. Yeah. And it's also supposed to be in the entrance hall and not in the great hall, so. Another small thing to note that I didn't note before was Madame Maxine is actually supposed to be the same height as Hagrid. But she's taller. But she's taller in the movie, which it's not that big of a deal. I just don't know why they did it. Because they're both technically half giants. She got more of the giant DNA. I don't know how that would work. I don't know. A female dominant gene, I guess, in that instance. Someone just took over. And then probably the one thing that gets spoken about the absolute most when discussing the difference between book and movie, like it's a meme out in the world. (laughs) And it's that when Dumbledore is questioning Harry after his name gets pulled out of the goblet, in the book it says he asks him calmly, yeah. And in the movie, he's, like, attacking Harry and, like, yeah. yelling at him. It, it seems like he's about ready to, like, just blow Harry off of the earth, more or less. Yeah. 
And I can understand him being, like, nervous for Harry, anxious for Harry, and all of this, and that, like, amping up his emotions. But I could not ever see a Dumbledore angry at Harry for what happened. Right. Because he knows better. Yeah. Dumbledore is a smart man. He knows that someone else circumvented the whole age line and got Harry's name into the goblet and did something. He knows that Harry doesn't have that kind of aptitude for magic yet. Yeah. So, calmly. He, he asks him calmly. Yeah. But that's not what happened in the movie. Not at all. Also... Another role that really got diminished was Rita Skeeter. Yeah. Her whole unregistered animagus and then her whole multiple really scathing articles are condensed so that she's just not as big of a character as she was in the books. Yeah. So like in the book, she comes across as like a bad guy slash hindrance throughout the entire book of like things getting done and things going smoothly for Harry Potter, Ron and Hermione. And so it's just weird that they would chop that completely out. But again, I guess it comes down to we didn't have time. Well, and when it comes to prepping for the first task and the end of the first task, you're supposed to see Charlie, both of those moments. And of course you don't because he doesn't exist, apparently. Nope, he's dead to the world of Harry Potter. And also relating to the first task, for some reason Hermione is put in there as like a way for Rita to find romantic implications between her and Harry and make a story out of it versus the way it actually happens in the movie or in the book. That's a little annoying, but I do like her turtleneck in the movie though, in that scene. (laughs) Just the turtleneck? Her jacket's also nice. Yeah. I did like how they were like color coordinated yeah. During all the tasks. I also think that she portrayed the character well in the very little bit of time you saw her. So, like, I don't think it was awful, but... Who, Rita? Yeah. Yeah. They did a good job with her character. There just wasn't as much of her as there was supposed to be. I really would have loved to have seen the wand weighing scene. A oh, bit yeah. More. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of sad that that didn't exist because, like... I don't know. I've always been a fan of Ollivander, especially in the first movie. Like he, he obviously existed there. It was so. nice and creepy. Yeah, I think it would have been great, a great addition to the movie, even just a little bit. Like Also, he's a necessary part of plots for other books, so he's kind of important. Yeah. So I don't like him not being there. I agree 100%. But continuing with the first task, Harry's flying just all over Hogwarts for some reason. Taking the scenic route. I guess. And, like, I'm really not a big fan of that part. Like, it's almost hard to watch. Like, I don't know if it's because it's that wrong or it's just that bad. It wasn't that great of a scene. So uh, it seems like, like the action needed to expand outside of the actual arena. Because, like, I feel like in the book, my brain made the arena seem like it was much larger for the, you know, the dragon and Harry to go at it than it actually was in the movie. And so, like, I could kind of see where it seemed like he needed to fly somewhere else to have room to do what he was trying to do. But, like, in the arena in the book, again, it seemed like it was much a larger place Mm-hmm. So you had that room to do things in and still be safe. Yeah. But I, I don't know. It it seemed like the movie scene was just far-fetched. It was like, here, I'm going to race around the castle and across the lake and blah, 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 blah. Like, it just seemed like overkill. And, you know, flying in between the openings on the bridge and the dragon going through the bridge. Like, really? Yeah. Like, no. Like, the cleanup would be awful. Right? As an adult, that's something you think about. Yeah. But another Hogwarts castle-related thing, why is the Owlery so separated? Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be in a tower, but it's supposed to be attached to the castle. Like, what the heck is this? Having to tromp out, like, a mile? And not be, like, a quarter mile to, like, three-quarters of a mile away. Yeah. I don't know what that was about. It definitely gave them privacy for the Harry and Cho moment, but that was all wrong, too. So, like, yeah, just, like... Like, I thought it was good the way they did that, but at the same time, I was like, this is so stupid because this doesn't happen at all like this. I also thought it was weird that Harry was hanging out with Neville while Harry and Ron were fighting. Yeah. Because, like, it would make sense, but that's not what happened in the book. No, it was Harry and Hermione rolling two squad deep, you know, everywhere they went. Well, and Ron was hanging out with his brothers. Yeah. So it's like everyone had someone to hang out with yeah. already, and then, I don't know... It also makes me question why Neville wouldn't have already known to talk to Harry about 
what happens in the second task and like the gillyweed and stuff yeah because like they were hanging out doing neville's like herbology sort of stuff whenever he gets contacted about the dragons by ron jenny and hermione yeah i will say though that i enjoyed hermione's line saying i am not an owl yeah. Because I can imagine sayings like that actually existing in Instead the world of, of Harry like, Potter. I'm not the messenger. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm sure there are a ton of sayings in the wizarding world that are similar but different to what we would actually hey, listen, say as well. I'm not your mailman, okay? No. <laughs> but that whole thing was also weird because Ron wasn't supposed to know about the dragons. It was supposed to be Hagrid. Yeah, Hagrid via, via the Weasley brother. Charlie. Charlie. Oh, I thought it was funny that friend George were rooting for the dragon during the movie. Yeah. Like, obviously, they're not being serious, but it's hilarious. Yeah. It's their level of Weasley satire mm-hmm. on the twins. Speaking of serious, his role was really diminished. Yeah. Which, I understand. He didn't really have that key role in the book, realistically. Like, he had, like, dad and son conversations with Harry in the book. Well, and he was dropping information about what was going on, but I guess it wasn't significant enough to be kept in the movie. Yeah, I can agree with that. But they did also mess up the scene where Harry and Ron make up. But, again, it was one of those scenes where, like, I'm laughing through it, so I'm not that mad about it. Yeah. It was definitely still an okay way to show that they weren't trying to kill each other or be mad at each other anymore, so. And something they added, which was funny, and I did enjoy watching, but never actually happened, was the dance lesson that they got with McGonagall. Yeah. Because Ron gets brought up, and that's hilarious. And Harry leans back to the twins and goes, don't ever let them live this down. And they're like, we won't. Basically, yeah. Yeah. And then at one point, McGonagall says that they shouldn't be a bunch of babbling, bumbling band of baboons. And then the Weasleys are trying to say that five times fast. Yeah. Which was funny. It's just that whole scene altogether is pretty hilarious. And like, I could imagine that happening. But at the same time, it didn't happen in the book. Yeah. But that was all for like the effort of McGonagall basically trying to let Harry know that he was going to have to dance, which is a scene that also was kind of cut out a little bit. Well, she was just supposed to mention it after class one day. And, yeah. You know, it makes Harry realize he has to have a partner to right. dance with. And leads to hilarity with them trying to ask out dates. And just some of the smaller stuff before the U-Ball is missing. And, like, it's not a big deal, but still it's missing. Right. And another point of contention for a lot of people when it comes to this movie is Hermione's dress robes are the wrong color. They're supposed to be blue, not pink. Right. I don't think that made that much of a deal breaker to me. Like, I think they were maybe trying to make her look a little more feminine. She's a girl. Yeah. She's going to look like a girl. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that was that big of a deal breaker in the movie or the book for me. Like When the movie came out and I watched it in theaters at the midnight showing, it was a big problem. Were people in the crowd like just going, boo, it's wrong color. It's the wrong color. No, but it was a point of contention for a lot of people. That seems really silly. Yeah. Well, with the Hunger Games, people were mad that Peta's hair color wasn't blonde, so like... Again, I don't know that that's a detail that's really required if the character meets every other standard. Yeah. But the part where Harry and Ron leave the Yule Ball to take a walk around the grounds now that their dates have left them is missing, so they had to push the scene where Hagrid and Madame Maxine are talking about her being half-giant up in the movie... And it happened before the Yule Ball. Yeah. As well, too, though, like, when the dates left, they went with people from... Was it from Hogwarts in the movie? Or was it from... It was from Durmstrang. In the movie, it was from Durmstrang, but they were really Beaubaton. Yeah. That was weird. I was like, wow, okay, well, we're playing this uh, sexist angle where each school only yeah. brings one sex to the to the celebration. So, you know, what do you expect? It's also supposed to be the part where we see Carcroft showing off the dark mark to Snape. Yeah. And them just sort of catching that whole scene a little bit. But then the whole subplot that comes from them overhearing and that article coming out is just gone. Yeah. So we don't get the other professor who's supposed to take over for Hagrid. Nothing. Yeah. You don't get Hagrid's depression spiral. Yeah. You miss out on a lot of stuff that solidifies more points and makes really the plot of the book 
all come together more at the end. So it's just kind of sad that they cut it out. Like I get, they already cut so much out already, so it really didn't make that much of a difference, but it just, it's still frustrating. Well, and it seems like a lot of the stuff that they're cutting out of this section are directly impacted by the fact that they were cutting out whatever leads to it in the first Beforehand. part. Beforehand, yeah. Yeah, and like you missed the part where Harry's going up to take the bath and then is trying not to get found out in that stuck stare. Yeah, the false stare. Yeah, and like his whole finding Barty Crouch on the map and the thing with Snape and the thing with Filch, like all of that is just gone. Right. You do get the scene where Snape kind of pulls Harry aside and like accuses him for stealing the, the gillyweed. The boom sling skin. And the gillyweed. Yep. Yeah. So those are pretty high quality ingredients you're finding there somehow, you know, like they can only come from one place. Yeah. Are they not allowed to like order things mail order things no idea because i feel like that could have been something he could have excused for the gillyweed yeah i didn't take your gillyweed i bought gillyweed <laughs> i've got all this money my parents you know me. i have money what's the problem right one of my things is just me saying that ron is being a jack again yeah a jerk yeah punk it's not what i wrote but yeah i know those are very good word choices instead So Cedric giving Harry the clue to take the bath was supposed to happen on Christmas when the U-Blog was supposed to have taken place and not Christmas Eve. So it's sort of that whole timeline is wrong. And like his panic in the movie was so much worse than his panic in the book. Yeah. Well, it's because it seemed like it was a shorter time frame between when he got the information and the actual second task where in the book he had like weeks and he was just chilling. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like the week before and that's when he figured it out and then he had to start studying to try to figure out what it actually was. And then the whole part where Dobby is supposed to find the way to get Harry through the second task and get it for him, it's just pushed off onto Neville. Yeah. So, I mean, I like Neville. I don't mind this so much. Well, it it's plays it plays more into what the book kind of like I don't know, Barty Crouch Jr. originally as Moody is like telling him like, well, I tried to give Neville the book, but he didn't communicate it with you. But in the movie, it's like Neville dumped all the secrets of the book on him. Like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it works more towards the fake Moody's plan, but it's not what happened. Right. And in the movie, he comes across as sort of both smarter and dumber. Because I, I can agree with that. A lot of Moody's failings from the book are somehow managed to work out for the movie, but then other things, just you see his fingerprints all over, as you'll see towards the end of the second task with his father. Right. I just put, Moody is too involved in this version of events. Like, you can trace everything back to Moody too well. Yeah. Yeah, if you're paying attention, you definitely can tell that Moody is the bad guy in the movie, whereas in the book, it's like... More of a question mark. Little blots in places where you're like maybe probably not though like yeah the mystery definitely lasts longer in the book yeah and i'm really not a fan of how magic works underwater apparently in the movie it doesn't in the book because you he doesn't know nonverbal spells and so the only thing he could have done is to say the spell out loud but he can't do that underwater right because he can't speak And at first it just looked like Cedric's wand worked underwater. So it was like, oh, he's older. Maybe he knows nonverbal magic. But then Harry's works too. So that's not right. As well too, that whole scene underwater where they're rescuing people is completely wrong. It's just a piece of kelp holding him down from the ground instead of around a statue where it needs to be cut. Well, and the whole Grindy Lowe's attacking him doesn't even happen until he's saved Ron. Which is the opposite of the way it happened. Yeah. And then I guess to add drama or something, like he has to use a spell to get lifted up all the way before he runs out of gillyweed and his time's gone. Yeah. And like he does struggle with that in the book. But he also doesn't do magic to do but it. But he doesn't do magic to get out of it. Right. I do like that they start singing the school song on their way back from the task. Yeah. Because it's just stupid enough to be funny. And I put more shouting from Dumbledore after the second task. (laughs) And the whole thing with Crouch, like, Crouch isn't even supposed to be there. Right. It's supposed to be Percy doing the second task, judging. And again, you see Mad-Eye talk to him, and then all of a sudden, Crouch is dead. 
I also thought it was weird, at least like the location of where it took place. They had like these giant, I don't know, fake wooden islands in the middle of the lake almost, whereas in the book it starts from the shoreline. Yeah. Which makes like sense that you'd be swimming for an hour to get to where you need to be because like, yeah, you're starting at the very edge of a lake and you have to find your way to the middle to figure out where they're at. Yeah. And then it messes up how Harry's supposed to end up at Dumbledore's office for going through the pensive, the pensive. Yeah. And just, you don't get all of the different cases, I guess is a good thing to call it. Trials. You just get the one, don't you? Yeah. You get Karkaroff dropping a bunch of names and then he's like, Barty Crouch, Jr. Yeah. So it's just sort of messed up. You miss Bagman's trial because, again, Bagman doesn't exist. Yeah, that was supposed to be, again, another little, like, hint of, like, hmm, maybe it's this guy. Right. So... You really seem to be interested in having Harry compete in the competition, whereas in the movie, because he doesn't exist, it's like one less suspect. Yeah. And I think that really leads to it being very easy to just be like, yeah, Moody's the bad guy. And then it feels like time just sort of speeds up again. Because it does. Yeah. You cut out a lot of, again, the smaller scenes, a lot of prepping for the third task. And you also don't get any parent visit before the third task, which, again, there's another Weasley sibling not there when it's supposed to be there. No kidding. Like, I pointed out before, all the Weasleys, except for Arthur, at some point end up at the school during the fourth book. But because of the way this movie is, almost none of them are there. Yeah. Or only half of them. Well, on top of that, too, you missed the really fun scene of Harry testing out hexes on uh, Ron and not on Hermione, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Well, I like that Hermione is like, oh, we can uh, move on from this now. Yeah. Don't need to test it on me. You're good. Yeah. And they didn't see the maze ahead of time. Right. Which I don't know that would have been a very big advantage or disadvantage to the movie necessarily because, like, in the book, all they know is roughly where it's supposed to be. As well, too, in the movie, the maze seems a hell of a lot bigger than it's supposed to be in the book. It's just supposed to be on the Quidditch pitch. It's not supposed to be... Hundreds of miles? Yeah, that's what it looked like. It literally looked like it went on for an eternity in the movie. So that whole maze setup is wrong. And then, of course, Harry had nothing to fight. Almost nothing to fight in that maze. And, like, while that was kind of the point in the book, he still faced things like that weird golden mist. He had a sphinx. He also came across the Scroot yeah. in the book as well, yeah. Yeah. So the maze seemed really dumb in the movie. Yeah. It's this big giant maze, but there was hardly anything to bother him. Yeah. And, and there... then like the maze closing up behind him, like that and... never happens in the book ever. So no, and there's like... like a weird wind that yeah. comes through. And changes the whole maze. But again, like I understand why they did it for the movie side of things. It's truthfully that movie was made for people that have not read the book. Like one hundred percent, that's what the director was trying to do with it. And in the book, eventually they get to the port key. They take it. They end up in the graveyard. In the book, almost immediately, Cedric is killed. It's just they land. They're confused, and then kill the spare. He's killed. Well, in the book, they walk towards the house for like. A moment more or less and then in the movie it's like two or three moments so like that's the big difference i think like where are we trying to figure themselves out you got more of that nonsense than you did in and we already book. said when we read the book that it seemed dumb that they didn't immediately get on their guard but yeah. extend that two or three or more times here i grabbed a port key and i'm with the guy that voldemort hates the most and we know the death eaters have been active and we're in a graveyard. Let's just add all those details together and find out that, uh, what? Why are you not on the defensive immediately? Well, it's like Sirius said in the book. Like, there are people reading the signs. They're yeah. seeing what's coming. And then there are some people who are oblivious it. or yeah. ignoring it. Like Fudge. Yes, later on Fudge, for sure. One thing that will be a continued error between all the movies is Voldemort's eyes are supposed to be red and they're blue. And I guess the director said something along the lines of they did this because he can express more emotion with normal eyes versus 
the eyes he's supposed to have. I can kind of see the argument. As somebody who's done video-based productions, I I could see that just a little bit. But at the same time, it's like it wouldn't have been that different. Like, not enough to change it either, though. It's weird to say that, I guess. But I think the the red eyes would have made him seem a lot creepier than he did in the movie. The movie was creepy, but not that creepy. Yeah. And I said that the whole cauldron thing was wrong because... The potion is supposed to be changing colors the whole time. And for some reason, the cauldron, like, disappears when they finish making the potion or the spell or whatever you want to call it. Whereas he just stands up out of it and then, like, climbs out of the actual... Yeah, and for some reason, it's blood red, and I didn't think it was supposed to do that at the end of the potion. So that was weird. It's also supposed to look diamond-y at some point. Very reflective. Yeah. So that's all wrong. And then the last note on this page, I still have more pages, but the last note on this page is the amazing flying Death Eaters, because that's not what they're supposed to do. No. It's supposed to be them apparating. It's just appearing out of thin air. Yeah. Yeah. And instead they're flying to him in like balls of smoke, which is still a thing in the later movies that I don't like. I think it's a good thing if you were watching, again, just the movies. Like, it clears up, like, these are the bad guys approaching. Because they can fly on smoke? Well, because they traveled through the smoke, yeah. I guess. I guess. For the most part, a lot of the stuff happening in the graveyard isn't that wrong. Or if it's wrong, it's not wrong enough to... Warrant conversation. Yeah. I did put that there's no Phoenix song happening during the Priori and Cantatum. It's just, like, it's not that big of a deal. I did put, however, that we're missing so much serious Black in this movie. Yeah. Because when Harry goes back, he's supposed to see Sirius later when discussing the whole thing with Dumbledore. Yeah. He's supposed to be back as well, too. You're supposed to see McGonagall going to grab a dog from, yeah. uh, from that, the forest. That could have been funny. Like, she could have pulled a face. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It, like, it would have been a tiny moment, but it would have been funny. Yeah. And because Winky was excluded from the movie so far, she's not there to, like, bring in her side of the story of what happened. Yeah. So you do miss part of Barty Crouch and Barty Crouch Jr.'s story throughout the movie. There's a lot of the side stories that really build up and strengthen the main plot that are just axed, nixed completely from the book. And it's really kind of a bummer because I really enjoyed this book because there was a lot of that. Like it built up. It wasn't like the second book where it was just really, really slow or the third book where it's just action all the time. It was definitely more of a mix of both. Yeah. And I think it was really the right balance. Yeah. Like, it was a really good book. And this movie had to turn into more of an action to get through all, all the major the plot points. Oh. So, I think why the book and the movie are so different is because there's just too much in the book to put into a movie. It would have been, like, six to eight hours long if they would have tried to do everything. Some people have said they would sit through a six or eight hour Harry I Potter movie. I don't think most of the people that said that would actually sit through <laughs> it. So, like, come hour three, their butt would go numb and they'd be like, well, let's take a break. And I'm like, no, you don't break. It's a movie. You go straight through it. Intermission. No. Never heard of an intermission No, before? not in movies. Yeah. There's also the missing scene where Fudge orders a Dementor's kiss on Barty Crouch Jr. So you lose all of his sort of witness statements. Yeah. And you miss McGonagall losing her temper, which I like to see. Yeah, because strong ladies are supported in this household. Yes. Yeah. Well, and like it removes any sort of way for them to overcome Fudge's denial because if he wouldn't have had the Dementor kiss Barty Crouch Jr., then they could have overcome his denial and done something sooner. Yeah. And that's sort of a major plot point for the fifth. Well, it's like Fudge like just straight covering it up more or less. Yeah, and he couldn't do that if there was a witness. Right. So other than Harry apparently, because he doesn't count. Yeah, I don't really trust Harry ever. And Dumbledore for some reason visits Harry during his like packing up which I think is weird. I've never seen Dumbledore go into a student's dorm room before. Yeah, that's kind of strange. And, like, he does comfort Harry, which I think he would have done in, like, the scene with Sirius if that was included in the movie. Right. And the last part that we really miss is Fred and George getting the money from Harry to start their business. 
Yeah, that's kind of a key scene that just doesn't seem to exist, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. And I mean, it can kind of be explained away in other movies about how they got the money to open their business, but it's just like, it's small, but I think necessary. Yeah. But I mean, we're talking about all the things that's missing and not really highlighting all the things that I really enjoyed. And like, there are a lot of funny moments. And like, for me, as someone who's been into this series since I was like 10 years old, anytime I watch a Harry Potter movie, I have at least a good time, even if it's the third movie, which is the worst one. I still have a good time. I still enjoy being in this world. And then this one added the comedy factor, which I really liked. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I think this movie was a good movie. The third is definitely so far the worst. But it was a good adaptation of the main storyline. And that's it. Anything that was like we would call in a video game world a side quest pretty much cut out of it you know because a lot of the side quests in harry potter books build the main storyline and quest itself and yeah something that is honestly missing from the movie it's just very much like here's point a we're going to point b now to point c to point d and it's just direct there's no like well maybe we go over here for point b or maybe we go over here for point c and then just kind of like dabble around which is what the book does also you have parts where a character who was excluded earlier because it wasn't important earlier is suddenly excluded for something that directly impacts the story yeah. and someone else has to take their spot. Like yeah. Neville with Dobby. Yeah. Overall, again, I, I enjoyed the movie. I enjoyed the book. I would definitely say I enjoyed the book more than the movie. But at the same time, for what the movie is, it's good. For what the book is, it's great. So I'm ready to start the next book. It's going to be exciting. You're going to read 11 chapters of Order of the Phoenix, right? Uh, roughly, yes, I think that's what we were aiming for. Yeah, so that's about a quarter of the way through the book. I think you're going to do a quarter a week and then the movie after that. Yeah. As for what I've been reading... And take down the seriousness level of our reviews a little bit. (laughs) Maybe not, I don't know. This week I got through three books. Oh man. Which was a surprise, especially considering someone came by yet again to fix our AC, so... Still not fixed. (laughs) No. Fixed-ish. The first book I read was The Bookweaver's Daughter by Malavika Kanan. I want to say is how you pronounce that last name. It's a NetGalley arc that I got. It was a story that was originally written by a 17-year-old who I think tried or did self-publish when she originally wrote it in 2018. Oh, man. And now that she is in college, she's actually getting it published. Awesome. Kudos to her. I rated it two stars well so maybe not kudos to her it definitely needs work i don't think it's really publishable yet but it's coming out in october so all the things that i think need work would take more time to develop and change right it's a story about a girl whose family for generations have been the book weavers And it's a type of magic where they get one shot in their entire life to reach this sort of zen state. And then whatever story they tell in that state comes true. Okay. And so she's living in a land where book weavers and people with magic like that are outlawed. Okay. And so they've had to be in hiding for years. And there's sort of a revolution and... That premise is good, but the execution is really bad, and it basically jumped from plot point to plot point without any world building or any sort of development of characters, and sometimes the action was sloppy the way that it was written, and I'd have to read through the whole action scene again in order to understand who's where and what's happening, and that's just clumsy writing. Yeah. And, like, I really like the idea of this, and I really like the whole thought that books can change someone's life. Basically, this whole thought that a story is that important, because I like books. So, of course, that sounds good to me. It just, it need to be done better. And, like, I think it could be a story worth telling. Right. But it's just so clumsily written. Gotcha. So that was a rough start for the week. That was a rough start for the week, yeah. And then I read a book that was my favorite for the week, but not by a lot, but it was my favorite of the week. And it was The Tourist Attraction by Sarah Morgenthaler, which I rated 3.75 stars. And also posted the cutest Instagram photo of a bunch of mooses with the book. Yes. Yeah. 
the book is about this guy who owns a restaurant and it's one of the most popular restaurants in Moose Springs, Alaska, this tiny tourist town. And this girl goes to Alaska on a trip with her friend and it's been like her bucket list thing that she's always wanted to do is go to this town that her friend's been to over and over. Go to Moose Springs. Well, I don't think it's a real place. It doesn't sound like a real place, but I don't know enough about Alaska to say that. And her friend has a lot of money, so she can travel all the time, but the main character wants to save up and be able to pay her own way on that sort of trip instead of having her friend finance her trip. And, like, he's, like, this grumpy, surly diner owner. He doesn't want to have the best restaurant in this town, but he does. And, like, he doesn't like the tourists and he wants them out of their town and all this stuff. But the tourists probably also make him a boatload of money, I would imagine. Right. I think one of the things that just added so much for me as someone who likes animals, you have a moose who's part of the story, so there's that. But then the owner of the restaurant also has a blind puppy. A blind border collie puppy that he saved. Adorable. Cue the Oz. Yeah. And apparently, despite the fact that he's a big, surly, grumpy man, he also buys his blind border collie a bunch of outfits to wear. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And throughout the novel, you see her coming up against a bunch of things that could have ruined her vacation. And it's one of the things that happens in a lot of rom-com movies that I'm not a big fan of, where... Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And then, like, finding the bright side and he's there to help her or whatever. The secondhand embarrassment was a little hard for me. Yeah. So that's part of the reason it's 3.75 and not higher. Yeah. But it does get cute and the everything that can go wrong will go wrong kind of slows down towards the middle. That's good. So that helps. But, I don't know, it... It was a really quick and easy read, and it was really cute, and I think it's perfect for anyone trying to get, like, in a wintry mood, despite the fact that it takes place in the summer. Yeah. It's still, like, wintry enough. (laughs) It's Alaska. It's wintry almost (laughs) year-round. And the last book I read for the week I finished yesterday, it is The Shadows Between Us by Trisha Levenseller, who I've read from before. And I rated it 3.5 stars. It's supposed to be about a girl who for years is plotting to woo, marry, and kill the king of the land that she lives in. Right. And she's a noble woman. So during one of the balls that the people, the counselors set up for the king to find a wife, she basically ignores him the whole time, hoping that will attract his attention versus being one of the nobles who's just like fawning all over him. And it worked. And it worked. Yeah. And she's invited to the court for him to court her. And Wow, that was creative. I know. Yeah. And So she's supposed to be, like, in the dedication, the author says that this is a Slytherin romance. And she's supposed to be ambitious and cunning. And to some degree she is. But she also exhibits traits of the other houses, like being really witty and smart and being very loyal to all of her friends and being very brave to do all these things that a woman's not supposed to do. Yeah. And so I would say this isn't really a Slytherin romance because as soon as she realizes that the king is willing to let her join in on these council meetings and get involved in running the kingdom and giving her this like level of power she wouldn't otherwise have, yeah. she suddenly lets go of her ambition to try to like marry him, kill him, take the kingdom for herself. And so I'm like, well, there goes like half the reason I wanted to read this. And, like, I did want an enemies to lovers, but in order for that to sort of hold true all the way, it needs to be longer than this book. Yeah. Because this is a 325-page novel. Which is shorter. It's a standalone fantasy novel that's 325 pages long. It's not long enough. There's Uh not enough time for world building. I didn't completely understand the magic system because that wasn't fully explained. Like, there's one guy that has magic. Why is he the only one who has it? I still don't know. Right. And just, like, I liked it. I had a good time. Like, I rated it 3.5 stars. It's still good. It's just these things were missing for me. There were some problems that kept it downgraded a little bit from what it could have been. Yeah. And, like, I like how the title really fits in with the story. And as you read it, it makes more and more sense. And, like, there's a lot to like about the writing style. It's just I needed more. Which... Whoever's keeping track, that's like the thousandth time I've said that. 
I'm going to create like a chart, go back and re-listen to all the podcasts. I'm just going to put like a check mark on, on like a calendar. You should do a shot every time. I that I would die. <laughs> Alcohol poisoning by the second episode. Yeah. How my wife killed me. Yeah. The last thing to discuss is what I'll be reading next. And it's fitting because I've created my September TBR. There's going to be posts on my blog, but Instagram as well. And I'm going to be trying to do an Instagram post a day for the month of September. Good luck. Thank you. I need it. But I did Becca's Bookopolathon. So Becca in the Books is Becca. Created a month-long readathon, but it's not really a readathon in my opinion. It's she made a TBR game for other people to play. So you could download all of the things, print them out, and play it like a Monopoly board. Right. For however many books you wanted to read, you'd roll it that many times. Accordingly. Roll the dice however okay. many times. And I decided to not print it out and all that, just play it like on my computer. So I did that. I was going to do five rolls and had to do six because I got a double on my first roll. So that was... Scaring me at first. It's a good way to start. And it restructured how I was planning on reading for the month because it added in a prompt that I couldn't make anything fit into. So now instead of reading City of Ghosts by V. Schwab in October, I'm reading it in September. I wanted to read it in October because spooky season. Right. But now I'll be doing it in September so I can hit that prompt. And it's basically about a girl who, ever since a near-fatal drowning, has been able to see ghosts. And her parents are ghost hunters. Hmm. And I've started it. I've just barely started it. I'm like 30 pages in. At this point, she's being haunted by a ghost, but she's basically become friends with him. So that's a cute little middle grade start to a story. And I think she's going to, instead of spending the summer at their usual summer house, they're going to go to England to do ghost hunting for the summer. Hmm. Should be creepy, should be spooky, but it's also middle grade, so it won't be so bad that I get freaked out. You won't have nightmares from it, hopefully. One would hope. Yeah. And then the next book I'm going to read will fit the prompt for Fire on the cover, and it's Starstruck by Brenda Hyatt. And she wrote a story in 2013, so this is going to hit all those 2013 tropes that not everyone loves, but this is a book that I got for free through that Facebook book group I'm in. Oh, okay, cool. So it's supposed to be short. It's the start of a sci-fi series, so I can continue it if I enjoy it. And basically, it's a girl in small town Indiana who's a nobody, but all of a sudden, the like hot guy starts to pay her attention. Oh, and possibly he's an alien. And that's where it goes from there. Okay. And the fire in the cover is a falling star, so... That's what I'm calling fire on the cover. I was really hoping you weren't going to make any of those dumb comparisons like a lot of people seem to be doing with this. Like, uh, there was one that you were watching a video on earlier that I can't remember exactly the comparison, but I was like, that doesn't, you're really stretching yeah, to make that yeah. thing fit what I you're mean, trying. you can stretch these to make them work for you, right. but... It's supposed to be a friendly thing. It's supposed to be just for fun, so yeah. I tried not to do that too much. This is the only one that kind of stretches it because it's a star, falling star fire yeah it's really gases hitting the atmosphere but got you yeah whatever and then the third book i'm going to try to read all of these are super short i'm thinking i'm going to be able to read all three of them it's going to be a study in charlotte by Brittany cavallaro okay and it's basically a gender-bent sherlock holmes story and i think they're actually the like great great whatever grandchildren of sherlock holmes and john watson Okay. I almost said Joan Watson, which tells you my most recent Sherlock experience. Yeah. Elementary. And that one hit the first in a series prompt. Okay. So all of these are technically a first in a series, so I could be opening up a can of worms for myself, since I like to continue series, like, in the following weeks. Yeah. So I could end up buying a lot of books next week. Hopefully not. Boom, boom, boom. But I think that's going to be it for us, guys. I know it's a little bit long with talking about the book-to-movie adaptation for Goblet of Fire, but I did keep out doing tags to try to reduce that. Yeah, I miss the tags. It's been, what, two weeks now since we've done one? I'll find one for you for next week. Hopefully one that I can participate in, because obviously I haven't read a lot of books, and that's the that's complicated part. That's the hard part, part. Yeah. for sure. 
But we appreciate you giving us a listen. Make sure you check out all of our social media. It should be linked in the show notes. We will catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye.